0: does have it all all of our pre-owned vehicles are hubler q certified which include a 128 point vehicle inspection a free carfax vehicle history report and two warranties a two-year 100,000 mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day 1,000 mile comprehensive warranty visit
1: any of our 13
0: locations today or click drivehubler.com you're listening to the best of kevin inquiry on 93.5 and 1075
2: the fan this doesn't have, Kevin, the same feel in terms of, you know, a year ago, Colts-Patriots. It was the the reignite of the rivalry. Two teams, a watershed moment on which one was going to seize control of the AFC. Hard knocks following the Colts with Carson Wentz trying to lead the Colts and blaze their path into becoming into the AFC's elite and taking over as the team down the stretch. That was what was at stake and on the line a year ago, and we were talking about how it was the the game of the week in the NFL, maybe the game of the year in the NFL, and all the hype, and obviously you go back to you know Andrew Luck and Deflategate and the AFC Championship games in Foxborough and getting knocked out by New England and then Brady Manning and all of the history. Even before that, in the AFC East, You know, Steve Grogan coming in and battling against Chris Chandler, and who's going to be the one that actually finds and writes the ship. It doesn't have any of those storylines, but is it still a significant game because of the fact that you have two teams? that really are kind of like the Spider-Man gif of looking at each other and not knowing which one is which because you have two teams that are both trying to find out at the quarterback position whether or not they indeed have the guy to move forward with but possibly this game is going to send one team into the direction of maintaining this season and the other team into the direction of totally looking forward and starting to turn the calendar a little bit. Yeah, that's Am cr- I over-romanticizing this matchup for the sake of nostalgically feeling like it's relevant?
3: Probably a tad. Um, I mean, New England's won 3-4, but they play in a loaded division. You know, the Colts obviously don't feel like that entering this season or entering this week from a momentum recently winning 3-4, something like that, as New England has done. Uh, Obviously, from a divisional standpoint, the Colts are in the far easier division than the AFC East. To your quarterback point, if Mac Jones struggles on Sunday at all early on, that crowd will be chanting for Bailey Zappi again. So, I think to that point, there is a little bit there. Obviously, Mac Jones being the first-round pick and Sam Ellinger being a sixth-round pick is much, much different. I think the teams are a bit built similar in that they both kind of want to just run it at you. That would be ideal. Um New England's defense is very good. I think Colts' defense, that would qualify as a strength. But um, I think Patriots fans certainly feel a tad better about their situation right now than the Colts do. I mean, the Colts, again, you have major questions at the pillars of your franchise. New England's got a question at quarterback still, but I guess it depends how long Belichick's going to coach, but certainly you don't have a question ahead head coach.
2: But I think when you look at the Patriots, and this is what Colts fans I think need to be aware of a year ago the talk was about Mac Jones you know there was so much talk about the young quarterbacks obviously in the AFC in particular and Mac Jones was the one that people were like man you almost forget about Mac Jones, like who was Mr. Consistent for New England and looked comfortable right away. And, you know, Belichick found his guy in just plugging in a guy to a system that was good for a quarterback and allowed stability and footing. And look how mature and poised Mac Jones is. And we don't talk a lot about him, but New England's, you know, having a surprisingly good year. And yet here we are a year later, Kevin. And there's discussion as to whether or not, well, I don't know. He's 24. Like, is he the guy? Eh. So the point being, he's got, you know, what, 20 more starts probably somewhere in there, 18, whatever it might be, than does Sam Ellinger, and yet you're still evaluating whether or not that's the guy. So we can't let one game or one month or, in this case, one you know, two-thirds a season, define possibly for the Colts whether or not they know that answer about Sam Ellinger, right? Is it Ellen Gerr or Ellinger? Gur Gurr. Hard, hard G. Are we sure on that? We are. We clarified with Matt Taylor last Friday. <laughs> okay. I, can I just keep calling him Ellinger just to make it my Gerrific.
4: thing? Gurrific.
2: Gurrific. But, but does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I understand where you're going with it. Um,
3: in relation to Sunday's matchup, Jake, and this would have I mean the fact that I'm saying this out loud just sounds outlandish. Is the bigger loss for Sunday Jonathan Taylor or Dennis Kelly?
2: And is that an idiotic question? Boy, no, I don't think it's an idiotic question at all. Um Oh boy. I
3: And hear me out, I guess, while you no, think about I, it.
2: I I think it's a good question because it's kind of chicken and egg,
3: isn't it? Patriots have the leading sacker in the NFL, Matthew Judon, eight and a half sacks. Even with, I guess, a limited Taylor, I wouldn't expect massive amounts of production on the ground from him anyways. And this is a little bit low-hanging fruit, but it's a stat that I think you should point out. I mean, the Colts are 2-0 without Taylor this year. We've talked about it before. It is in replaceable position. Um... I just feel like with a first-time road starter, as much as you would want to lean on that run game, and not that there's some major difference between Dennis Kelly and Bernard Ryman, but with how Ryman looked in that first meeting in Denver, his first start, boy, I I don't know. And for what it's worth, it looks like neither guy's going to play. Kevin,
2: I try really hard. I'm not saying that I do it well. I try really hard to be objective without bias in analysis and opinion. Human nature dictates that some of that comes into play. I understand that when you continue to harp on a point, and emphasize something that people then automatically start to not automatically but over time start to feel like you have a bias against something I, I totally understand that I promise people hearing my voice right now that this is not a statement with any bias whatsoever but simply observation that I can't shake loose even though I'd like to when Chris Ballard was hired as the general manager of the Colts, the league-wide reputation was that he was the, the prodigal, like that he was the future of NFL general managers. No one necessarily specifically said why, like couldn't tangibly say one reason why they liked him so much, but he was just, he was very respected. That's cool by people who are much more intertwined with the NFL than I. So I get it. But we have sat here and, Via the media, the fans, all areas, Frank Reich has been under a very finely tuned microscope on him at this point, and his seat is very warm. Carson Wentz, the owner scapegoated Carson Wentz. Frank Reich scapegoated, you know, whether it be Marcus Brady or whoever it may be. Why is it, Kevin, that the one thing that we were told that made Chris Ballard special and unique was his ability to build depth and start in the trenches and building a national football team roster. And that was the area that the Colts were going to be stronger than others and separate themselves. And yet the area that we were told that Chris Ballard was the architect, like they were building a house and he showed up and he's like, listen, I'm the guy that is awesome with drywall and painting. I'm the guy. And everybody said, you got to have him because he he can hang drywall and paint it better than anybody. And their drywall is completely flaking and breaking off and they have zero paint to put on it. So why is Chris Ballard seemingly completely immune to criticism around here? And why is nobody saying, what in the world is going on in the fact that the one area that we were told was going to be the focus on building this football team is the one that is completely 100% collapsed, let them down and borderline derailed their entire season yeah that would be my biggest issue if I were Jim Merce
3: right now it's that Ballard's most important belief before he gets anywhere else on that list is trench play and in particular the offensive line and that's failed this group correct that more than any root, other
2: aspect of this roster that's the root
3: of all problems I think to add to it Jake again Dennis Kelly could be out on Sunday that would bring Bernard Ryman in the starting lineup as the Colts entered this week, they've played eight games. They've started nine different offensive linemen. Again, there's only five spots. you started nine, and none of them have been due to injury. All due to performance. That, to me, for a group that you're supposed to build continuity, the highest paid offensive line in the NFL, and you have shuffled in, Nine guys for five spots when none of them have been due to injury. Uh, So it's not like you've even had the general attrition. We talked about it. The Patriots, they're down two offensive line starters for this week and due to injury. Colts haven't even gotten there yet. Dennis Kelly looks like the first time all season long. Um, There's obviously reasons that Jim Mercer should be questioning Frank Reich, but with Ballard, that would... Arguably, Jake, on paper, Ballard's greatest supposed strength is, to your point, building the trenches. What's Frank Reich's greatest strength on paper? What is he known for?
2: Offensively, yeah, quarterbacks and uh, you know, quarterbacks and offensive
3: scheme, right. I guess uh, you know. And what are the two things failing the Colts the most right now? Yeah, Ballard's offensive line and Frank Reich's offense. And if you're Jim Irsay, when you're looking at these two and you're evaluating both of them you got to start there. It's not that your linebacker play has been particularly devastating or, you know, hell I was certainly not a fan of the planet wide out and while I think they could have bolstered that with a veteran or two, that has not held the group back to the extent of the offensive line. That would be my worry if I were Ursa in that what these two guys, their biggest calling cards, their biggest strengths both of those
2: are failing. I feel like you could have an offensive line of Orlando Pace, Mike Webster, Alan Fanica going out and putting a game together. And Kevin, if they've never played together or had numerous reps with one another, they're going to suck as a unit. Not individually, but as a unit. That's, and and so you just can't, at some point you got to pick a lineup.
5: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: You gotta stick with it, right? Comes down to that. And your high school teams still left, Jake? You had, you had a couple coming into the year, right? Uh, well, my teams, of course, Shelbyville, Shortridge, North Central. Shortridge might still be alive. Rake would know that. North Central, I know, uh, not alive. Shelbyville, I think, also done. The Fighting Bears? Golden Bears,
3: yeah. Have- Golden Bears. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll just throw this question to Rick. Rick, yesterday, a buddy of mine that uh, lived on my floor freshman year at IU asked me, best high school football game in the state this Friday night. He, he's looking to go someplace, taking the sectional final. Your response to that would be where?
0: Well, I'm kind of personal to the game that I've got in Cathedral and Lawrence Central, and my guess would be you're kind of interested in that game too. Um, I, would, I would put Fishers in HSE knowing that the mudsock game is for a sectional championship, I'd put that game up there as well.
3: It seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like we maybe had some juicier matchups last week and a few more lighter ones in the sectional final round.
0: At least in the 6A ranks we did. A lot of kind of the sectional favorites played each other in the opening round whether that was Ben Davis and Brownsburg, which turned out to be a 28-point game, or Carmel and Westfield, which turned out to be a 19-point game, or then we had games that were a little bit of surprises because of how close they were, the fact that Center Grove was trailing in the fourth quarter to Franklin Central and beat them 14-10, or the fact that L.N. led Cathedral in the second quarter and that game really wasn't put away until the final minute or two. Um, Even kind of new Powell and foray, you know who who played a couple of conference and county rivals and probably had a closer game the first two weeks than they'll have this week with Connersville. So there are some good sexual championship matchups out there, but especially in the 6A category, a lot of, of the bigger games happened last week. Again, Fishers, HSE, to a lesser degree, Noblesville-Westfield would kind of be the exception to that.
2: Greg, who is, at any level, I guess, who is the best team that is surprisingly not remaining, you know what I mean, where things opened up within their class or the team that things have opened up for that might be a surprise to end up playing Thanksgiving weekend?
0: That's a good question, and and I'm not sure there is anybody that would define that. Again, what struck me last week was kind of, I wouldn't say lopsided, but how controlling a couple of those wins were. You know, Ben Davis and Brownsburg, I did that game the first time around, Ben Davis did not have their starting quarterback in week one of the season because he was a transfer from Brownsburg, and he was just ready to wrap up the 365-day wait from transferring one school to the other. And I thought, all right, this is going to be a little – and it was a competitive game the first time. Brownsburg won by five, and basically a ball was knocked away at the goal line late to ensure that Brownsburg is going to win that game. Then Brownsburg's quarterback in Jaden Whitaker got hurt in week nine, and it was a big question mark as to whether he would be able to play. Brownsburg won that game by 28. Now, the draw doesn't open up for them. They play a rival in Avon this week. Avon's down, and Brownsburg should win that one rather handily, but strange things happen in rivalry games. And then the Carmel-Westfield game. I wouldn't say I was stunned that Westfield won the game. I was surprised they won the game by 19. Uh, But again, they will now play a Noblesville team that, you know, took them to the last play of the game during a regular season in a Noblesville team, but off the top of my head, my guess would be it's it's been a little while, like 20 years perhaps, since Noblesville won a football sectional. And so I'm not sure the draw has really opened up for anybody again in terms of the larger levels because other than Ben Davis and Brownsburg, a lot of the ranked teams were kind of spaced out and separated. There is a good chance that as we get to next week in 6A, Where there will be eight teams left, that we could have eight different ranked teams left still playing, maybe seven. I don't think Warren Central is ranked, but we kinda knew in their sectional they would have a little bit of an easier path to get likely back to Centergrove in terms of of a regional game. So it's a good question. Again, at the larger level, I'm not sure that's really kinda that draw has opened up just yet.
3: I know Matty Bone will have her eyes on Chittard and Guerin tonight. That's a nice matchup in three A and really should be great weather. Um, here for the sectional finals. Rake, Shifting Gears again, Greg Rakestraw with us ISC Sports Network. Not only is he got Cathedral L C tonight, he's got some volleyball action for the state finals coming up tomorrow. Um, well let's go on the Colts front. Obviously a very newsy week. Rake, if I talked to you at the side on the sidelines at Grand Park in August and said Marcus Brady or Naheem Hines will not be on will not be around in early November, who would have been more of a surprise for you? Uh, Naheem
0: Hines. Because I, 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 and not that I had any any negative expectations or connotations uh, of, of what Marcus Brady was going to do, just because Naheem Hines is a foundational pay, piece, uh, paid like it, uh, but also uh, because of everything that was said during the offseason. Yep. You know, it's, 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 it's what Jake was talking about last segment. If you're going to talk about building the offensive line, you'd better build it well. If you're going to talk about, Using both Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines together on the football field, we saw that like what a handful of times over, over the course of the last eight games. I know injuries play a part in that, but I think of some formations last week and go, "Hey, maybe now you get this, you know, this this, this Hines and Taylor combo." And he's traded a couple of days later. And again, now he may have asked for that trade. And obviously, the Colts have been, you know, uh, have, have not been willing to, uh, to kind of own up to that or, or, or discuss that aspect of it. But anytime you fire an offensive coach eight, eight weeks in, it's not good. Anytime you trade a player that, you know, you have indicated you'd be building around for multiple years, that's also not good. So I, I would have been stunned had you told me either of those would have happened, but if you made me pick one, it's Naeem Hines.
2: Greg, I guess if you stick around the market long enough, you start to see trends repeat themselves. And I'm looking at the Colts, and I'm putting myself in the position of Jim Irsay, and I'm thinking, okay, I already saw the situation where Chuck Pagano was my head coach, Bruce Arians then went elsewhere and flourished and people started saying well did we maybe keep the wrong guy is the same thing happening now do you think in any way shape or form in the back of the mind of Jim Irsay because of Nick Sirianni and his success and the question marks around Frank Reich who I like a lot as a guy don't get me wrong
0: I, I, I would give you the counter for that though I'm not saying what you're saying is inaccurate but let's go back to Ted Marchabrode and Lindy and Fonte when you did make the other 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 call, saying, "Hey, if this guy's going to leave, I'm going to make sure I
2: keep the offense yeah. in mind," and maybe that, that factors important. into it, right, in terms of and, that. And,
0: and and Lindy was was not supposed to be the head coach of the Colts, given kind of how things played out over over the course of the next couple of years. But it's also Atlanta you, Peyton Manning, so so I I'm not sure if if, if you're going that far yet. Um, but is there, without doubt. Has there been a talent drain in terms of coordinators and position coaches going elsewhere on this football team? Yes, that has been the case.
3: Again, Greg Rankstraw is with us here. You're going to hear him post-game show coming up on Sunday. Colts at Patriots 2006, the last time the Colts won in Foxborough. Rank, part of me, when I say it out loud, it kind of sounds foolish, but I, I threw it to Jake last segment, so I'll toss it to you. Given the fact that this is Sam Ellinger's first road start, could Dennis Kelly actually be a bigger loss than Jonathan Taylor this week, or is that ludicrous?
0: Um, It's not ludicrous given the lack of overall success the Colts have had in rushing the football. And it's not ludicrous considering how well I thought Ellinger played last week. And it's not ludicrous considering that Kelly has brought this offensive line from um, catastrophic to one that simply has some holes. Um, so, So no... Uh, I I've seen this team win without Jonathan Taylor. Um, I've I've seen them lose, you know, with Dennis Kelly on the field, but the protection issues have largely been better. So, um, let's let's put it this way. I don't exactly have a great feeling about Sunday's game in a lot of aspects and not having Dennis Kelly would be high top that list.
2: Greg Regstra is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors hotline. You hear him, as a matter of fact, on the post-game show for the Colts right here on this radio station, each and every game. Greg, I mentioned this to Kevin. I think it might have been last week, but I want your, your thoughts on it. The Pacers came out and almost perhaps over-aggressively stated to everybody the fair warning of, look, we're, we're in a a strip down and build back up, rebuild, basically. They might have even oversold it in terms of the level of their rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it. Are the Colts teetering on being in that exact same scenario but being more coy about it?
0: I don't know yet, and the reason I say that is because there's nine games left to go. And let's face it, it has been... 11 years, 12 years, I, I, I guess, really, since the Colts have been in that position. Um, and, and and the one time they thought they were in it, they were so surprisingly good that year that the rebuild plan got scrapped and it became, okay, we're bringing in an army of free agents to surround ourselves with this young core on offense that we have on rookie deals for the next two or three years. And, and so it, the, the, the rebuild was over. And even then, I, I very distinctly remember one of my – one of, one of my most vivid memories of a Jim Say conversation isn't from he and I talking or he and Rick Venturi talking and me listening uh, during preseason telecasts, but it is from training camp at Anderson University in August of 2022. And when he was asked about his team's expectations or his expectations for the team that year, you know, a lot of us are saying this is going to be a four win team or a five win team. Or, hey, the Colts are going to take their lumps, but we believe in Andrew Luck. He think they got some good pieces. You know, look out for the future. And Jim's talking about him being a wild-card team. And we all we literally started laughing. Uh, and, and he's like, I'm serious. Well, crazy like a Fox, right? They win 11 and 5, and they're a playoff team. And so I think the rebuild word. Is is so foreign to Jim because he hasn't had to go through it? You know, you've had these one year kind of blip hiccup seasons over the last twenty years, where where you know it's, it, you know has this team been average a lot? Yep, have they been really terrible? Well, two thousand one because Edger and James got hurt and you switch coaches. Two thousand eleven because Peyton Manning got hurt and you switch coaches. Two thousand seventeen because Andrew Luck got hurt, and you switch coaches. Um, you can deduce from that that statement what you want, but usually there has been some sort of mitigating injury factor that has said, hey, we'll be fine, or, again, you just hit everything right in the 2011 draft. Circumstances you know, conspired in your favor in 2012, but it has been so long since this team felt, hey, even the year after you draft Peyton Manning, you have one bad year, you win 13 games the next year. So all of that long-winded answer, Jake, is to tell you, to me it's going to take a lot for the for the word rebuild to really be at the forefront of the mind of, of Jim Irsay and those that work for him at 56th Street.
3: And it's Greg Rakestraw, ISC Sports Network, with us here. Rake, he had two touches on Sunday. That's obviously not a ton, but I thought it might have been the best game of Paris Campbell's career Um, Drew the big pass interference penalty, and you look at the two big plays he created on his own, it was a screen and a jet sweep. I I feel like with the Naheem Hines trade, obviously health is still a huge, huge question. And it's wild to think that at this point of the season, Paris Campbell's eight games are the most he's played in any NFL season. But I just look at what he did Sunday and think, okay, no Hines. If you can continue to give him touches in those areas, I'm very curious to see if the Campbell we saw on Sunday, you can tap into more of that as he plays out this contract year.
0: Let's face it, the negatives far outweigh the positives from this year. But there is no doubt that, to, to me, the only positive that is greater than Paris Campbell is probably the overall play of Grover Stewart. I, I would put Paris and, and, and Alec Pierce would probably be right behind him, or they'd be 2A and 2B in the overall hay what we thought was a a bad position in wide receiver, at least from a top-three standpoint, those guys will all prove they can play at this level and be contributing pieces for this team going forward. So I am so happy for Paris, given everything that he is going through. And, and yes, he had as big of an impact with three touches, and, again, let's credit him, say, four, for the pass interference, as he did with having a 10-catch performance the week before.
2: And, and Greg... You know, to your point, uh, Grover Stewart. I, I don't think we can say enough good things about him. I feel bad no. for the guy that this year, perhaps their overall season might kind of lose in the shuffle. What he has been able to do and be probably their most consistent performer at a position that, truth be told, the Colts have long been looking for consistency. Right? And le- and let's let's explain to people the delineation
0: between all pro and Pro Bowl because they get used kind of inner you know intertwined and they're really not. If you're a Pro Bowl defensive tackle, you're probably am, amongst the top eight at your position out of 32 teams in the National Football League when there are usually 64 starters at defensive tackle in the National Football League. That, that's really good. By the time the Pro Bowl gets around, guys beg off because of injury, playoff games, etc. So let's say Pro Bowl designation goes to the top 10 or top 12 defensive tackles in the National Football League. All pro means you're in the top two. And I think Grover Stewart is a top two level defensive tackle. Like, literally, it could be Aaron Donald and then him. That's how good he has been this year. So, Grover has just been remarkable. And the fact that he has basically improved his game all six years. He has been in the National Football League. And that he was a fourth-round draft pick that played Division II football. His story is, is, is rather remarkable.
2: Greg, I want to uh, finish with you this morning. Greg Raikstra is our guest on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Um with something that I think is an important lesson for everybody that has nothing to do with the Colts, high school football, anything else. And I hope I'm not out of bounds in bringing it up, but you posted it on Facebook, which I assume is a public forum, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, My mom actually has known your son since he was a young boy because she had him in school. And I know that school has not always come easy for easily for your son he, he had some yep. some challenges at no fault of his and this week he went on a school field trip and that seems probably routine to a lot of people right it was not for your son and when I saw your post it actually I, I was almost emotional when I read it because I think that people lose sight of making sure that their child has their own victories And not comparing those victories to everybody else on the schedule, but simply focusing on what's a victory for their child. And I thought your post was an incredibly poignant and important one to let people in the world know that sometimes you just got to back up a little bit and let people be who they are. I just thought it was super cool.
1: Well, I
0: appreciate you saying that, and I don't mind talking about it. So, My son is autistic nonverbal. Um, and again, Jake's mom, Karen, who is known for her leaf pSAs this time of year that's right uh, for, for her forty five plus years of working at the children's corner preschool has has been like the uh, you know uh, assistant mom to thousands of children in the broad ripple uh, hashtag midtown area uh, yeah. and, <laughs> she's, and, she's and never called it midtown. I, I, I know I, I haven't, that's good enough for me. Uh, so anyway, she is, she's worked with both my daughter, Mia, who's now 11 uh, and my son, Jack, who is now eight. Uh, and, and so for, you know, for, for us, if people ask all the time because of, of, of what I do for a living, Hey, your kids must real, really be into sports. Right. And I go, well, <laughs> my daughter has my performance genes, but could not care about sports ball as she calls it. And so much like Jake query, in a couple of years, she's going to be a North Central Panther uh, because she is going to go there because of their wonderful arts program. My daughter is in the Annapolis Children's Choir. My daughter is in the school musical. She, she's done some footlight musical and uh, Phoenix theater camps. She has the performance scenes from both, for both her and from both me and my mom. That's the route that she wants to go. And then they asked about my son. I go, well, my son's probably about 6'3 or 6'4 left-handed, and... You know, he is, he's built like his dad. He's, go, he's going to be a, a, a tank. Uh, but unfortunately, I'm not sure team sports are going to be an option for him. Um, it's part of the reason. I hope I would feel this way without having this be the case. But it's part of the reason I'm so passionate about what the IHSAA does with Special Olympics and unified sports. And like I did the call of the Unified Flag Football State Championships three years ago, and maybe my son will get to play in that in high school. I don't know at this point so you know I, I i post so much about you know what i do for a living and the places that i get to go and the venues that, I, that i'm in etc well you know it's probably time to celebrate a victory for my guy and that's why i said it in the way i did going on a field trip for some is not a big deal for my kid it is a huge stinking deal and I, i'm so proud of him every day but especially
3: yesterday as you should be Rick, my mom taught special ed for 30 years, so Special Olympics has always had kind of a close place to the Bowen family. So I I absolutely love hearing that and glad that uh, he was able to feel that and you were um, as his dad. Enjoy tonight. Again, glad it's good weather. Have fun at the volleyball state finals tomorrow. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, Rick.
5: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: Thanks, fellas. Appreciate you.
3: Yeah, the trip to Foxborough, maybe not one that a lot of people look forward to. I'm going to guess that Matt Taylor does because if I remember correctly... The radio view for Matt Taylor coming up on Sunday afternoon, it's got to rank close to the top and the best views in the NFL. Although, and Matt Taylor joins us now, Mayte, to get to the old radio uh, press box for you, don't you have to venture through the crowd at Foxborough?
1: Yeah, (laughs) the radio booths and the television uh, compound, if you will, is separate from the press box, and you do have to walk in the concourse area to get there it's detached from the press box it's actually on a different level it's lower it's 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 exactly how you said it's just high enough not low enough where you don't see where you what you need to see but you do have to walk among the fans and if you have to go to the bathroom you have to go out in the concourse area and so you have to be strategic because you know you're going to be wearing your colt's polo mm-hmm. your colt's, their yeah. colts hoodie you know, so you have to be strategic on, you know, where you where you go, how many people are seeing you, if it's, you know, time of the game, you know, going out at the halftime, it's not going well. Like it's, yeah, you know, that's that's been the case in the past. You know, I remember going out at halftime of a uh, divisional round game where the Colts were down and 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 taking some heat verbally. Um, and it's all for the most part all in good fun, uh, but yes, it is in my opinion, one of the best radio booths in the NFL. And I know no one cares about this, but it's a good vantage point. It's low, but not too low. And it's wide. So you have, you know, plenty of area to kind of spread out and, and, and be comfortable. So Yes, I. From that standpoint, I'm very much looking forward to the game.
3: But, well, Jake, you know what Matt Taylor probably hopes he hears around four o'clock tomorrow would be this. This is one of the darkest days in Boston sports history.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> walk walking back to the buses after the game, maybe. You know, I, hey, I, I know Matt. It's like calling the Indy 500. You got to be strategic on those pit stops, if you know what I mean, right? I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, you got to exactly. hope somebody realizes what's going on and they're like, clear it out. This guy's got like two minutes. <laughs> yeah. See, people actually want to see you, Jake. They don't want to see Matt Taylor and Fox. I mean, though. understood. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely the case. Matt, I asked Kevin this earlier. I'll ask it to you, Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, who's on the Payless Liquors hotline. Is this, a, is this game a fork in the road for the Patriots and Colts in terms of the direction of of the two franchises and where they take their season, depending on the result of this Sunday, or is it too early to say that? No,
1: I, I, I'm with you. I, I agree with that, especially for the Colts. I mean, this is this has been a big last couple of two weeks. I mean, it's there's been a lot thrown at this team, you know, with the change of quarterback and just the magnitude of that with, uh, you know, going from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger and then a change at the offensive coordinator position, which is not a light move. I mean, you're talking about in terms of the hierarchy of the coaching staff for I me mean, obviously Marcus Brady the offensive coordinator that that's pretty high up there and then you trade one of your top three playmakers on offense um this this is going to be interesting to see how this team responds to that especially this week with on Tuesday with those two big you know points of news coming out um so I I do think they're big deals and I'm I'm very eager to see how this team responds because they are at a fork in a road because they've lost their last two um, and they've made internal changes. They've decided to go a different direction with the trade in Naeem Hines and kind of what that means for the future. Um, and I don't pretend to really understand the ins and outs of that on, on why they made that decision, but all I know is they did make that decision and he's not here. And now you have to scheme up how to move the football without, you know, one of your loose play gadget guys that was so productive for you at times with big plays you know on jet sweeps or lining them up on the slot and and having him capitalize on with catches on linebackers and safeties and things like that so I do think this is a fork in the road game for the Colts not only internally and psychologically but with, with nine games to play we forget there's still nine games to go I mean you still have half of the season left and for the Patriots they're four and four and it sounds crazy but it's true I mean they're only one game out of the playoffs right now, right? So, I mean, there's there's a ton of parity in this league, and there's still a lot of football to be played. So it's it's really not hyperbole or cliche to say that the Colts still have a chance and they can go on a run if they make a push, but obviously they've got to start playing better football, and they're doing it with a different quarterback now. They're doing it with a slightly you know change-up or at least a different dynamic in the coaching staff on offense without Marcus Brady. So from that standpoint, I'm very excited for this game, and I'm, I'm anticipating, um, you know, hopefully some good things happening on the offensive side of the ball after some sluggishness after eight
3: games. Uh, Our coverage will begin at 10. Again, kickoff at 1. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Mate, I want to look at the injury report on both sides, um, if you will, with us here on this Friday morning ahead of the final practice of the week. Uh, Obviously, no Jonathan Taylor so far this week. No Dennis Kelly. Those are big injuries to watch. But I look at New England's side, and I'm looking at, is that four offensive starters they could be without? on Sunday with some of those guys that haven't practiced this week?
1: Yeah, I saw Marcus Cannon's banged up, but they list Isaiah Wynn as their starter at right tackle, and he's missed some time earlier this season. But yeah, Cannon started the- last
3: week, but yeah, Wynn has started this season. Yeah, so it's kind of
1: like 3-3.5, three, three depending on how you look at it. But That's no, notable right. for an I offense
3: mean, that's struggled this season.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and both teams have really been... You know they've they've killed the, 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 themselves with turnovers. I mean, both teams are tied for uh, second to last in the NFL and turnovers on offense. It's interesting. The Patriots are even on the season. They're they're tied for for second to last in turnovers on offense, and they're first in the NFL in takeaways on defense. Um, so they're they're a net even in the turnover margin because of that. Obviously, the Colts have not been as as fortunate in the turnover margin. They have, obviously, more turnovers on offense than they do takeaways on defense. Um, but, yeah, Mac Jones, obviously, having a little bit of an up-and-down season. The completion percentage has been okay. Passer rating not so so good um, since returning a couple weeks ago from from an injury. He missed three games. Um, you know, the ground game for New England has been better as of late. Um, it's kind of deceptive. You know, their overall numbers are not going to wow you, but they have been over 100 yards in five straight games here with uh, Ramondre Stevenson. Um, And then Damian Harris uh, has an an illness, and I don't know if he's going to play on Sunday, and he's a guy to watch because he is dynamic with the football in his hands. Um, So injury report-wise, definitely a storyline going into this game, um, specifically with players on offense for both teams.
2: The quarterback position, Matt, Matt Taylor's our guest. You know, we've seen in the past, and I think teams truly feel this way, when you have a young quarterback – that is trying to get his footing there's you have to be very delicate with it because if you go too far of a quarterback in a bad getting in bad situations there's like an irreversible mental thing that happens to them that they just can't get out of david carr comes to mind with this is the same true of left tackle if bernard Ryman's going to be put in there almost by default and they just rip off the band and say go Is there a danger or a risk in putting him there too early, Matt, like there is sometimes at the quarterback position? Or can he learn on the fly and become an Anthony Costanzo long-term, you know, pillar on the line?
1: Yeah, I see what you're saying. But I think the Colts, you know, they drafted him where they did for a reason. And they have aspirations and goals for him to be that cornerstone left tackle of the future. And I get what you're saying because, you know, in his first start on a short week, uh, playing left tackle against the Denver Broncos. Obviously, it was rocky. I mean, he had, I think, four total penalties. One was declined, so three that were accepted. Um, and then the next week, he played, I think, 11 snaps against the Jaguars. Got to start again at left tackle, but then after about 11 snaps, was supplanted by Dennis Kelly. And I think that spoke more to how well Kelly played more so than anything from, from Bernard Ryman. Um, so from that standpoint, I I see it both ways, but I'm a big believer, same thing with quarterbacks. If you draft a guy high and you think he's going to be your franchise quarterback, or in this case for Bernard Ryman, your franchise left tackle, I'm a, I'm a big believer in just baptism by fire and you're going to have to have some growing pains and, and get those mistakes out early. and, And hopefully, you know, you, you have some huge dividends by the end of this season and next season and beyond when he's a polished, true, again, cornerstone left tackle for you as a staple on the offensive line.
3: Okay, Matt Taylor is with us, the voice of the Colts. Uh, Maytay, I was um, looking at some Sam Ellinger numbers a little bit closer um, from Sunday, and I thought Ellinger had a nice – nice performance. I'm sure a little bit of that is me grading on a curve for his first start. Um, but I feel like with you know Jake's algebra r- right now, numbers have been a little bit more prevalent mm-hmm. on the show. Um, so hear me out on these, okay? Ellinger was yeah. over 70... I think it was over 73% on Sunday. His passer rating was, I think, just above 100. And the yards per attempt was just above 8.7. Those are like really important metrics the Colts pay attention to, and I think any team pays attention to in evaluating quarterback. If you look at those numbers, that those numbers have only happened twice since Andrew Luck retired just before the start of the 2019 season. Phil Rivers did it once, Carson Wentz did it once. Wow! When you look a little closer at Ellinger's performance, and sure, when Paris Campbell takes a screen for 38 yards, that obviously helps you out. But that was like a really efficient day throwing the football, in particular for a guy making his first career start.
1: Yeah, and one of the big, and that's that's amazing. Um, And I might have to steal that by the way. I'll have to double check that, but I'm going to steal that at 50. Check my work, certainly. Yeah, (laughs) no, I'm not. I'm not doubting you, but. And another thing that stood out to me from his performance was the Colts only threw it 23 times. Now I know they, you know, that they'd only scored 16 points, but the Colts prior to Ellinger's start last week had been averaging about 40 attempts per game. And so they, they were more productive in the running game. Um, They were more efficient because of the big plays. I mean, I think the Colts had four plays over 25 and seven plays over 15. So when you have more explosive plays, you have shorter drives, right? You, you move the your ball down the field faster. The problem is that the Colts just had they had six possessions inside the commander 30, and they only scored one touchdown. So you still have offensive inefficiencies and turnovers, right? You had two fumbles lost inside the 20-yard line, which were just absolute killers. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things. I think the NFL, I talked about this yesterday, I think with Dan. I mean, the NFL put out a stat the other day where, you're right. Ellinger played great statistically, with you know over seventy percent completion percentage, over a hundred passer rating. I think he's only the second quarterback in the last twenty years to put those types of numbers up in his first career start and lose. I think the other one, ironically, was Mac Jones last year, uh, his first career start as a rookie um, with New England. So um, from that standpoint, it was disappointing that the defense couldn't hold. And you still have just. These, these back-breaking turnovers at inopportune times, especially in plus territory when you're so close to scoring points. Yeah, I mean, even even one of those drives last week, if you just get a field goal on one of those drives, I mean, you win the game, obviously. I mean, everything gets looked at and amplified when you lose by one at 17-16. to 16. Um, But I think you're right. To drive home the point, Kevin, I think you're right. Sam Ellinger did some really good things. He helped the running game. Jonathan Taylor has been over five yards per carry in each of the last two games. Now, I don't know if he's going to play this week. Obviously that's a huge storyline today on the injury report. Um, But I think theoretically you have a lot you can build around and be happy about through four quarters of play from Sam Ellinger.
2: Matt, when you look at, and I asked Kevin this earlier, uh, Matt Taylor's our guest, the voice of the Colts on the Payless Lickers hotline. In terms of Sam Ellinger, have they are they giving him full access to the playbook in terms of what they're doing schematically, or are they simplifying a little bit while he gets his feet wet? I think both. I
1: think both. I think I think they're obviously. I think last week they spent a lot of hours tailoring the offense to his skill set and and having that hopefully you know help the running game, which I think it did in a small sample size through one game. But I think that you're going to see the game plan on Sunday be a little bit bigger than it was last week because of they they saw what Sam could do. They saw what he could handle. Um, but they're, they're always going to play to his strengths, if you will. But I think week by week the game plan is going to grow a little bit or at least the selection of plays they can dial up for Sam will grow as he gets more experience and as they get more comfortable with him. Um, so I, I don't think you would have said that last year. You know, certainly in training camp as a rookie, when when so much is being thrown on his plate um, right away. But I think with his IQ, uh, with his just football intelligence, and because of his you know uh, improved arm strength and velocity on his throws, I I, I think it's safe to say that the the, the playbook you know with with Frank Reich in its entirety is at its full disposal there with Sam Ellinger as, as his
2: quarterback. I'm under the belief, Matt, that from an offensive line standpoint. You gotta have a good line, obviously, you know, especially with a young quarterback to, to allow him to, to see things. But from an offensive line standpoint, I'm under the school of thought that I almost would rather have five guys that might not be as highly touted as five guys elsewhere, but if they are playing together with continuity and can get familiar with each other on the line, that's where your strength is. And that no matter how good your line might be in terms of the individual parts, you can't find any stability if you are constantly rotating in and out because it is the unit that is the most critical in terms of unity across the board. What say you? Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, I mean you always hear all the time about you got to have five as one. I mean, every offensive line coach in America will will stress that you you got to have five guys acting as one unit and communication and reading keys and interpreting. You know, line stunts. Those, those things are huge, and I mean, we've seen it all year long. If you if you just got one guy on among those five breaking down on a play, it screws the whole play up. I mean, Colts have had free blitzers and they haven't picked up stunts and twists at the line of scrimmage. Um, consistently this season. I mean, obviously that's led to, you know, the high pressures and the 26 sacks taken. Um, In the Colts, Kevin, maybe you can double-check me on this. I I think it's, what, five different offensive line combinations in the starting lineup this year?
3: Sounds right, yeah. Yeah, nine guys here through eight weeks of start of the O-line. Sure, I mean, so when you have that, and it's maybe going to play out again on
1: Sunday with, with Dennis Kelly's injury and Bernard Ryman potentially starting at left tackle, um that that's so important i mean a guy like quentin nelson has had a handful of different left tackles he's had to deal with the center to his right you know danny pinter has had to play some same thing on the right side with braden smith he's got a new guy to his left every single week seemingly um so no there's there's so much to that jake you're exactly right and you know that that is one of the the i think the clichés of football that is so true people get tired of hearing it but you know, offensive line continuity—five guys playing as one. Um, you know, the, the less you talk about the offensive line, the better it is. You know, it's sort of like I always use that that analogy of like the mom in the stands at the high school football game. You know, if a, a mom of an offensive lineman, she is just praying that people are not talking about her son. Same right. thing like with a corner. Like if if a cornerback is not talked about, it means he didn't get beat deep on a on a go route. So. Um, Those are the things the Colts are trying to get back to, continuity and fluidity, or not fluidity, but but just consistency and and communication up front
2: like they had in 2018 and 2019. Matt, to your point, man, I have always said in your job as the voice of the Colts and my job in calling the Indy 500, offensive linemen are to you what rookies in the Indy 500 are to me. The less you and I are saying their names, the better day they're having.
1: Oh, Yeah. Yep, I mean, nine times out of ten, the only times I'm talking about an offensive lineman are if a guy gets beat on a sack, you know, where did the pressure come from? He beat so-and-so off the edge right side, and then a penalty. You know, like, yeah, okay, there's the penalty, it's a false start, that's that guy's fifth false start penalty this year, or whatever the case is. So, you're exactly right. For a play-by-play guy, nine times out of ten, if you bring up an offensive lineman, it's a bad thing. Now, we try to reverse that. We try to do the best we can. You know, if Jonathan Taylor rips off a 30-yard run, You try to give props to the hole that he that he went through and, and who it was created by. Um, but, yes, that's typically the life of an NFL offensive lineman.
3: I think last week, right, it was a season low in penalties, but all three were on offensive linemen, if I'm not mistaken, three penalties for the Colts last week. Mate, I'll, I'll end with this. Um Assuming Jonathan Taylor does not go, and we'll have to see, obviously, what happens in today's practice, would you assume Deion Jackson is the lead back? And then, kind of going off that, could you give us a little background on a new Colt running back, Zach Moss?
1: Yeah, um, I, I, that would be my assumption. It would be Dion Jackson, and I'm not sure if it would be Zach Moss. I don't know definitively. I just think, it, yeah, could call him Zach, Lindsay. I think it's on the active roster. Right? He's on the active roster. I, I think that might be a tall order for him to come in and, and get, you know, whatever the case is five, six carries on, you know, three days of familiarity inside this offense. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I just don't know if it will. Um, I think he's the type of guy that can come in and be able to do it and handle it. Um, but, you know, they, I guess what I'm getting is the Colts have options with Jordan Wilkins, and he, he knows this offense like the back of his hand despite being gone for basically a year. You know, he was released by the Colts this time last year, and now he's back, but he spent four years in the system, um, you know, under Frank Reich, drafted in the fifth round in in 2018 out of Ole Miss. And they also have Phillip Lindsey, who's played a couple of games this year, activated off the practice squad. So they do have options, but I think it's safe to say that the assumption is that Deion Jackson would be the first running back if Jonathan Taylor doesn't play. And then after that, that's that's an interesting question, and I don't know if we'll have the answer to that until about Sunday, about uh, about twelve thirty before the kickoff.
2: I just like Dion Jackson because he plays seemingly Matt every snap at a high energy. I'm not mm-hmm. saying he's the best player, right? But like that dude just seems to—he's like an energizer bunny. You know, I mean, one game, I, I get it. Like, it's not like we're sitting here watching him week to week to week. But you, mm-hmm. can, I, I love a guy like that. His number is called, and that guy was flat out ready.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he capitalized on his opportunity. There's no question about that. And, you know, I think that's what this league is all about. You're just a handful of plays away every single week, and you got to be ready. And if you're not, you miss your chance, and then maybe your career is over because of that. And he can do everything. I think he's a good pass protector. He obviously hits, you know, the gaps very, very quickly. He runs hard. Uh, you know, he, he lowered his shoulder for that big boom a couple weeks ago against Jacksonville and got in the end zone. And he's caught every pass that's, that's come his way. I think he's got 15 or 16 catches on the season. He had 10 against Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago. So he's he's kind of a do-it-all back, and he definitely capitalized on his chance. And uh, that's why I think it, there, it would be a no-brainer. He would be the, the first-string running back if Jonathan Taylor doesn't go on Sunday.
3: Again, our coverage begins at 10 o'clock this Sunday. It is back-to-back road games for the Colts, too ends of the country, really, in Foxborough this week, and then their longest road trip of the year, Las Vegas, coming up next week. Maytay, safe travels and enjoy.
5: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
1: I appreciate you guys. Have a good weekend.
3: Beautiful Friday. It is gorgeous. Here in Indy. Some rain tomorrow, it sounds like, but I'm glad tonight will be good for sectional sectional finals. Boy, what a perfect
2: night to go out and
3: watch high school football right
2: i feel like friday night's been pretty good this year weather-wise i mean tonight you know it's gonna be clear skies in the mid to upper 60s just perfect and purdue and
3: indiana both both at home um so we'll see what the weather looks like purdue is a three and a half point favorite over iowa that is a noon kick and then indiana we'll see what they do at quarterback they are a two touchdown underdog to penn state
2: boy indiana's pretty rough sledding here on out for indiana just, i mean as opposed to the first two months of the year well yeah but i'm just saying like uh, don't they have ohio state still uh penn state at ohio state at michigan state which is pretty winnable and then purdue yeah, i mean that's rough
3: when's the last time you think the number one team of the nation has been a touchdown plus underdog That's what we got this weekend with Tennessee at Georgia. Georgia minus eight. One versus
2: three. You know, Georgia defensively, uh, I don't know that they're at the level they were last year defensively. It doesn't feel like Georgia... You know, Tennessee, I, I don't know, man. I mean, because they beat Alabama at home, maybe people are still skeptical of them, even though obviously their resume is number one by the committee. I think Tennessee's pretty darn good, but... Alabama probably is sitting back like, all right, guys, knock each other out, and then we'll
4: hang around and see what Alabama's happens. Alabama's got a big one at LSU tomorrow night. You say that Tennessee-Georgia spread is 8 Mm-hmm. It's up to eight and a half now. It's climbing.
2: Anybody that says the SEC is not the best league in college football is out of their minds, right? Do people say that? Oh, I hear, I mean, I hear people say the SEC's overrated. Oh, I'm tired of the SEC bias. Uh, come on! It's a I mean, an animal.
3: Anybody that was inside of Lucas Oil Stadium last year for the national title would—it's just a different world. It totally. I, I, and they—they—I I know it sounds stupid. I know that they say this often. It means more. It just means more down there.
2: I mean, even in a down—and and they're not down necessarily—but I'm just saying this hypothetically speaking, a down. LSU team or a down Tennessee team for that matter, you're still going in at night more often than not and playing in front of a hundred thousand people. I mean it's it's just insanity, man. That that I mean, Auburn just fired their coach after a year and a half. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Is Deion Sanders taking that job? I thought I saw him, Lane Kiffen, and the Baylor O. C. They all were like plus two hundred to take it. So Lane Kiffin would go from Ole Miss to there. Yeah, I mean, is
2: that more resources there. Probably more nil. The money, money Lane Kiffin's making at Ole Miss, though, I, why would you leave? I mean, Oxford, Mississippi, is a nice town. You're making big time money. I, you know, Ole Miss is up there. I mean, they, that SEC West. I
3: mean, I guess both the East and the West, but the West is still really up for grabs. Um, okay, any locks you guys like this week? Six buys in the NFL. So we've got our biggest um,
4: buy week in the NFL. Uh, Mark, you like anything? So there's one stat I'm gonna throw out there. Do with it what you want, because I don't, I can't make sense of it. Teams that have played the Panthers the following week are O and seven the next week. So if you played the Panthers, you've lost your next game after that. What
3: a wild stat!
4: So that so, would be the Falcons. That means the Falcons are playing the Chargers. Take the Chargers minus three. If you're going to in ride, Atlanta, right? In Atlanta. So I thought at first, oh, that cross country trip, the Chargers. You know, probably don't fare well, but if that 0-7 rings true, Chargers minus three there. What is the line in Minnesota at Washington? Do you have the lines in front of you, Mark? I can pull them. Give me one second. I guess
2: Vikings by about a
4: field
3: goal the or Vikings
4: so? are minus three on the road. Yeah. I, I got two. I'm going to go with Ravens minus two and a half at Saints. Cardinals at home, minus two over the Seahawks. See, I'm going Seahawks plus two there. I'm also taking Lions plus three and a half against the Packers. Now that's your bias Oh, the Packers, Packers stink. They
2: are bad. I'll take the Bears to cover against Miami. Are they favored? Uh, no, they are home dogs, I think, by like four and a half. Okay, I'll take the Bears to cover that against Miami. And I think New England's going to cover against the Colts. Oh, wow. I have not picked against the Colts all year I don't think. Well go ahead with that, your with your Colts pick now. That trend is bucked today. Uh New England wins
3: 27-13. Yeah, I um I can't go that high. Well, I guess Mark you want to give your pick uh sure yeah I, minus I'm, five and a half like you said jake the over under i think has bumped up to 40 and a half
4: i, th- I think if we get 27 13 that'll be a pretty high scoring affair for these teams i'm taking patriots 17 colts 14
3: 19 16 patriots nick folk really good kicker um i honestly think it could come down to like nick folk versus chase mclaughlin it's possible Again, it's supposed to be a beautiful day in Foxborough. If it's windy at all, I think that'll be a big thing to watch. I just want to see
2: proof of a beautiful day in Foxborough.
3: Jonathan Taylor's injury situation and Dennis Kelly, those will be the ones to watch
2: on Friday. You think Purdue controls um, home field against Iowa? Yeah, I don't think Iowa can score enough points, and that's not to say that Purdue's an offensive juggernaut, but Iowa just offensively is anemic.
4: Unless they're playing Northwestern, then they go balls out. (laughs)
2: Uh, I'll take Purdue there, and I. What is the Clemson Notre Dame line now? Uh,
3: three minus and, a three and a
2: half for uh, Clemson. E-
3: I will go with Clemson twenty-seven, Notre Dame twenty. I really worry about Notre Dame's O line. Can they handle Clemson's front? That's a strength for Notre Dame, but Clemson's D D line's a different story. And again, Drew Pine stinks as a thrower of the football.
2: I think pine's a wonderful scent.
3: Can he make a couple of strong throws? I've got More of a maple tree in my man car. myself. His <laughs> a tree nice is cedar wood, maybe. Drew, Drew Pine is rotting. Okay. Okay. Give That's me your good.
2: honest score, Jay. Clemson Notre Dame. Twenty-three. 23- 22 Notre Dame. Oh boy. That is just that reverse is fandom to the I'm just end. Telling degree I, I'm Jake telling you. I'm telling
3: you. I think Clemson's good.
4: I don't think Takes back from Europe Clemson as fastballs is fastball's coming down the middle. Clemson is due to stub their toe. Clemson 30 Notre Dame 17. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday.